section three of beacon lights of history volume one the old pagan civilizations by john lord this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by k hand religions of india part one brahmanism and buddhism that form of ancient religion which has of late excited the most interest is buddhism an inquiry into its characteristics is especially interesting since so large a part of the human race nearly five hundred millions out of the thirteen hundred millions still profess to embrace the doctrines which were taught by buddha although his religion has become so corrupted that his original teachings are nearly lost sight of the same may be said of the doctrines of confucius the religions of ancient egypt assyria and greece have utterly passed away and what we have had to say of these is chiefly a matter of historic interest as revealing the forms assumed by the human search for a supernatural ruler when moulded by human ambitions powers and indulgence in the lust of the eye and the pride of life rather than by aspirations toward the pure and spiritual buddha was the great reformer of the religious system of the hindus although he lived nearly fifteen hundred or two thousand years after the earliest brahmanical ascendancy but before we can appreciate his work and mission we must examine the system he attempted to reform even as it is impossible to present the protestant reformation without first considering medieval catholicism before the time of luther it was the object of buddha to break the yoke of the brahmins and to release his countrymen from the austerities the sacrifices and the rigid sacerdotalism which these ancient priests imposed without essentially subverting ancient religious ideas he was a moralist and reformer rather than the founder of a religion brahmanism is one of the oldest religions of the world it was flourishing in india at a period before history was written it was coeval with the religion of egypt in the time of abraham and perhaps at a still earlier date but of its earliest form and extent we know nothing except from the sacred poems of the hindus called the vedas written in sanskrit probably fifteen hundred years before christ for even the date of the earliest vedas is unknown fifty years ago we could not have understood the ancient religions of india but sir william jones in the latter part of the last century a man of immense erudition and genius for the acquisition of languages at that time an english judge in india prepared the way for the study of sanskrit the literary language of ancient india by the translation and publication of the laws of menu he was followed in his labors by the schlegels of germany and by numerous scholars and missionaries within fifty years this ancient and beautiful language has been so perseveringly studied that we know something of the people by whom it was once spoken even as egyptologists have revealed something of ancient egypt by interpreting the hieroglyphics and chaldean investigators have found stores of knowledge in the babylonian bricks the sanskrit as now interpreted reveals to us the meaning of those poems called vedas by which we are enabled to understand the early laws and religion of the hindus it is poetry not history which makes this revelation for the hindus have no history farther back than five or six hundred years before christ it is from homer and hesiod that we get an idea of the gods of greece not from herodotus or xenophon from comparative philology a new science of which professor max muller is one of the greatest expounders we learn that the roots of various european languages as well as of the latin and greek are substantially the same as those of the sanskrit spoken by the hindus thirty five hundred years ago from which it is inferred that the hindus were a people of like remote origin with the greeks the italic races romans italians french the slavic races russian polish bohemian 
the teutonic races of england and the continent and the celtic races these are hence alike called the indo-european races and as the same linguistic roots are found in their languages and in the zendavesta we infer that the ancient persians or inhabitants of iran belong to the same great aryan race the original seat of this race it is supposed was in the high tablelands of central asia in or near bactria east of the caspian sea and north and west of the himalaya mountains this country was so cold and sterile and unpropitious that winter predominated and it was difficult to support life but the people inured to hardship and privation were bold hardy adventurous and enterprising it is a most interesting process as described by the philologists which has enabled them by tracing the history of words through their various modifications in different living languages to see how the lines of growth converge as they are followed back to the simple aryan roots and there getting at the meanings of the things or thoughts the words originally expressed we see revealed in the reconstruction of a language that no longer exists the material objects and habits of thought and life of a people who passed away before history began so imperishable are the unconscious embodiments of mind even in the airy and unsubstantial forms of unwritten speech by this process then we learn that the aryans were a nomadic people and had made some advance in civilization they lived in houses which were roofed which had windows and doors their common cereal was barley the grain of cold climates their wealth was in cattle and they had domesticated the cow the sheep the goat the horse and the dog they used yokes axes and plows they wrought in various metals they spun and wove navigated rivers and sailboats and fought with bows lances and swords they had clear perceptions of the rights of property which were based on land their morals were simple and pure and they had strong natural affections polygamy was unknown among them they had no established sacerdotal priesthood they worshipped the powers of nature especially fire the source of light and heat which they so much needed in their dreary land authorities differ as to their primeval religion some supposing that it was monotheistic and others polytheistic and others again pantheistic most of the ancient nations were controlled more or less by priests who as their power increased instituted a caste to perpetuate their influence whether or not we hold the primitive religion of mankind to have been a pure theism directly revealed by god which is my own conviction it is equally clear that the former religion recorded in the earliest written records of poetry or legend was a worship of the sun and moon and planets i believe this to have been a corruption of original theism many think it to have been a stage of upward growth in the religious sense of primitive man in all the ancient nations the sun god was a prominent deity as the giver of the heat and light and hence of fertility to the earth the emblem of the sun was fire and hence fire was deified especially among the hindus under the name of agni the latin ignis fire caloric or heat in some form was among the ancient nations supposed to be the animus mundi in egypt as we have seen osiris the principal deity was a form of ra the sun god in assyria asher the substitute for ra was the supreme deity in india we find mitra and in persia mithra the sun god among the prominent deities as helios was among the greeks and phoebus apollo among the romans the sun was not always the supreme deity but invariably held one of the highest places in the pagan pantheon it is probable that the religion of the common progenitors of the hindus persians greeks 
romans celts teutons and slavs in their hard and sterile home in central asia was a worship of the powers of nature verging toward pantheism although the earliest of the vedas representing the ancient faith seem to recognize a supreme power and intelligence god as the common father of the race to whom prayers and sacrifices were devoutly offered freeman clark quotes from muller's ancient sanskrit literature one of the hymns in which the unity of god is most distinctly recognized in the beginning there arose the source of golden light he was the only lord of all that is he established the earth and sky who is the god to whom we shall offer our sacrifices it is he who giveth life who giveth strength who governeth all men through whom heaven was established and the earth created but if the supreme god whom we adore was recognized by this ancient people he was soon lost sight of in the multiplied manifestations of his power so that ralston thinks that when the aryan race separated in their various migrations which resulted in what we call the indo-european group of races there was no conception of a single supreme power from whom man and nature alike have their origin but nature worship ending in an extensive polytheism as among the assyrians and egyptians as to these aryan migrations we do not know when a large body crossed the himalaya mountains and settled on the banks of the indus but it was probably at least two thousand years before christ northern india had great attractions to those hardy nomadic people who found it so difficult to get a living during the long winters of their primeval home india was a country of fruits and flowers with an inexhaustible soil favorable to all kinds of production where but little manual labor was required a country abounding in every kind of animals and every kind of birds a land of precious stones and minerals of hills and valleys of majestic rivers and mountains with a beautiful climate and a sunny sky these aryan conquerors drove before them the aboriginal inhabitants who were chiefly mongolians or reduced them to a degrading vassalage the conquering race was white the conquered was dark though not black and this difference of color was one of the original causes of indian caste it was some time after the settlement of the aryans on the banks of the indus and the ganges before the vedas were composed by the poets who as usual gave form to religious belief as they did in persia and greece these poems or hymns are pantheistic there is no recognition says monier williams of a supreme god disconnected with the worship of nature there was a vague and indefinite worship of the infinite under various names such as the sun the sky the air the dawn the winds the storms the waters the rivers which alike charmed and terrified and seemed to be instinct with life and power god was in all things and all things in god but there was no idea of providential agency or of personality in the vedic hymns the number of gods is not numerous only thirty-three the chief of these were varuna the sky mitra the sun and indra the storm after these agni fire and soma the moon the worship of these divinities was originally simple consisting of prayer praise and offerings there were no temples and no imposing sacerdotalism although the priests were numerous the prayers and praises described the wisdom power and goodness of the deity addressed and when the customary offerings had been made the worshipper prayed for food life health posterity wealth protection happiness whatever the object was generally for outward prosperity rather than for improvement in character or for forgiveness of sin peace of mind or power to resist temptation the offerings to the gods were propitiatory in the form of victims or libations of some juice 
nor did these early hindus take much thought of a future life there is nothing in the rig veda of a belief in the transmigration of the souls although the vedic bards seem to have had some hope of immortality he who gives alms says one poet goes to the highest place in heaven he goes to the gods where there is eternal life in the world where the sun is placed in that immortal imperishable world place me o soma where there is happiness and delight where joy and pleasures reside where the desires of our heart are attained there make me immortal in the oldest vedic poems there were great simplicity and joyousness without allusion to those rites ceremonies and sacrifices which formed so prominent a part of the religion of india at a later period four hundred years after the rig veda was composed we come to the brahmanic age when the laws of menu were written when the aryans were living in the valley of the ganges and the caste system had become national the supreme deity is no longer one of the powers of nature like mitra or indra but according to menu he is brahm or brahma an eternal unchangeable absolute being the soul of all beings who having willed to produce various beings from his own divine substance created the waters and placed them in a productive seed the seed became an egg and in that egg he was born but sat inactive for a year when he caused the egg to divide itself and from its two divisions he framed the heaven above and the earth beneath from the supreme soul brahma drew forth mind existing substantially though unperceived by the senses and before mind the reasoning power he produced consciousness the internal monitor and before them he produced the great principle of the soul the soul is in its substance from brahma himself and is destined finally to be resolved into him the soul then is simply an emanation from brahma but it will not return unto him at death necessarily but must migrate from body to body until it is purified by profound abstraction and emancipated from all desires this is the substance of the hindu pantheism as taught by the laws of menu it accepts god but without personality or interference with the world's affairs not a god to be loved scarcely to be feared but a mere abstraction of the mind the theology which is thus taught in the brahmanic vedas it would seem is the result of lofty questionings and profound meditation on the part of the indian sages or priests rather than the creation of poets in the laws of menu intended to exalt the brahmanical caste we read as translated by sir william jones to a man contaminated by sensuality neither the vedas nor liberality nor sacrifices nor strict observances nor pious austerities ever procure felicity let not a man be proud of his rigorous devotion let him not having sacrificed utter a falsehood having made a donation let him never proclaim it by falsehood the sacrifice becomes vain by pride the merit of devotion is lost single is each man born single he dies single he receives the reward of the good and single the punishment of his evil deeds by forgiveness of injuries the learned are purified by liberality those who have neglected their duty by pious meditation those who have secret thoughts by devout austerity those who best know the vedas bodies are cleansed by water the mind is purified by truth the vital spirit by the theology and devotion the understanding by clear knowledge a faithful wife who wishes to attain in heaven the mansion of her husband must do nothing unkind to him be he living or dead let her not when her lord is deceased even pronounce the name of another man let her continue till death forgiving all injuries performing harsh duties avoiding every sensual pleasure and carefully practicing the incomparable rules of virtue the soul itself is its own witness the soul itself is its own refuge offend not the conscious soul the supreme eternal witness of man o friend to virtue the supreme spirit which is the same as thyself 
resides in thy bosom perpetually and is an all-knowing inspector of thy goodness or wickedness such were the truths uttered on the bank of the ganges one thousand years before christ but with these views there is an exaltation of the brahmanical or sacerdotal life hard to be distinguished from the recognition of divine qualities from his high birth says manu a brahman is an object of veneration even to deities hence great things are expected of him his food must be roots and fruit his clothing of bark fibers he must spend his time in reading the vedas he is to practice austerities by exposing himself to heat and cold he is to beg food but once a day he must be careful not to destroy the life of the smallest insect he must not taste intoxicating liquors a brahman who has thus mortified his body by these modes is exalted into the divine essence this was the early creed of the brahman before corruption set in and in these things we see a striking resemblance to the doctrines of buddha had there been no corruption of brahmanism there would have been no buddhism for the principles of buddhism were those of early brahmanism but brahmanism became corrupted like the mosaic law under the sedulous care of the sacerdotal orders it ripened into a most burdensome ritualism the brahmanical caste became tyrannical exacting and oppressive with the supposed sacredness of his person and with the laws made in his favor the brahmin became intolerable to the people who were ground down by sacrifices expiatory offerings and wearisome and minute ceremonies of worship caste destroyed all ideas of human brotherhood it robbed the soul of its affections and aspirations like the pharisees in the time of jesus the brahmins became oppressors of the people as in pagan egypt and in christian medieval europe the priests held the keys of heaven and hell their power was more than druidical but the brahmin when true to the laws of menu led in one sense a lofty life nor can we despise a religion which recognized the value and immortality of the soul a state of future rewards and punishments though its worship was encumbered by rites ceremonies and sacrifices it was spiritual in its essential peculiarities having reference to another world rather than to this which is more than we can say of the religion of the greeks it was not worldly in its ends seeking to save the soul rather than to pamper the body it had aspirations after a higher life it was profoundly reverential recognizing a supreme intelligence and power indefinitely indeed but sincerely not an incarnated deity like the zeus of the greeks but an infinite spirit pervading the universe the pantheism of the brahmins was better than the godless materialism of the chinese it aspired to rise to a knowledge of god as the supremest wisdom and grandest attainment of mortal man it made too much of sacrifices but sacrifices were common to all the ancient religions except the persian he who through knowledge or religious acts henceforth attains to immortality shall first present his body death to thee whether human sacrifices were offered in india when the vedas were composed we do not know but it is believed to be probable the oldest form of sacrifice was the offering of food to the deity dr h c trumbull in his work on the blood covenant thinks that the origin of animal sacrifices was like that of circumcision a pouring out of blood the universal ancient symbol of life as a sign of devotion to the deity and the substitution of animals was a natural and necessary mode of making this act of consecration a frequent and continuing one this presents a nobler view of the whole sacrificial system than the common one yet doubtless the latter soon prevailed for falling upon the devoted life offerings to the divine friend came propitiatory rites to appease divine anger or gain divine favor 
then came in the natural human self-seeking of the sacerdotal class for the multiplication of sacrifices tended to exalt the priesthood and thus to perpetuate caste again the brahmins if practising austerities to weaken sensual desires like the monks of syria and upper egypt were meditative and intellectual they evolved out of their brains whatever was lofty in their system of religion and philosophy constant and profound meditation on the soul on god and on immortality was not without its natural results they explored the world of metaphysical speculation there is scarcely an hypothesis advanced by philosophers in ancient or modern times which may not be found in brahmanical writings we find in the writings of these hindus materialism atomism pantheism pyrrhonism idealism they anticipated plato kant and hegel they could boast of their spinozas and their humes long before alexander dreamed of crossing the indus from them the pythagoreans borrowed a great part of their mystical philosophy of their doctrine of the transmigration of souls and the unlawfulness of eating animal food from them aristotle learned the syllogism in india the human mind exhausted itself in attempting to detect the laws which regulate its operation before the philosophers of greece were beginning to enter the precincts of metaphysical inquiry this intellectual subtlety acumen and logical power the brahmins never lost Today, the christian missionary finds them his superiors in the sports of logical tournaments whenever the brahmin condescends to put forth his powers of reasoning brahmanism carried idealism to the extent of denying any reality to sense or matter declaring that sense is a delusion it sought to leave the soul emancipated from desire from a material body in a state which according to indian metaphysics is being but not existence desire anger ignorance evil thoughts are consumed by the fire of knowledge but i will not attempt to explain the ideal pantheism which brahmanical philosophers substituted for the nature worship taught in the earlier vedas this proved too abstract for the people and the brahmins in the true spirit of modern jesuitism wishing to accommodate their religion to the people who were in bondage to their tyranny and who have ever been inclined to sensuous worship multiplied their sacrifices and sacerdotal rites and even permitted a complicated polytheism gradually piety was divorced from reality siva and vishnu became worshipped as well as brahma and a host of other gods unknown to the earlier vedas in the sixth century before christ the corruption of society had become so flagrant under the teachings and government of the brahmins that a reform was imperatively needed the pride of race had put an impassable barrier between the aryan hindus and the conquered aborigines while the pride of both had built up an equally impassable barrier between the different classes among the aryan people themselves the old childlike joy in life so manifest in the vedas had died away a funereal gloom hung over the land and the gloomiest people of all were the brahmins themselves devoted to a complicated ritual of ceremonial observances to needless and cruel sacrifices and a repulsive theology the worship of nature had degenerated into the worship of impure divinities the priests were inflated with a puerile but sincere belief in their own divinity and inculcated a sense of duty which was nothing else than a degrading slavery to their own caste End of section three.